Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I might sound a little weird, which is because I am recovering from COVID. Finally got it. Hadn't gotten it before. Honestly hit me way worse than I thought it would. Uh, It was not fun at all, but I'm very glad to be feeling a bit better. Not 100%, but definitely much better than the bedridden state I was in for the last few days. I did use my time productively, though. I read a lot and wrote a lot, which was really nice. Definitely not how I wanted to spend my last week in Georgia, but alas, we have no control over much of anything. Uh, so happy to adapt. I sent out a relatively, I don't think it's that controversial, but I feel like the world might think it's controversial piece about gender and my own experience and my own gender exploration starting when I was like two or three into today and what I think of this whole situation. I think the episodes that I've released about gender have been yeah, the most controversial and taboo uh, of the episodes that I've posted, but these topics, um, these controversial topics, these really heated topics that have come about in recent years uh, were really a huge inspiration for starting my podcast and a huge inspiration for my writing, uh, at least in the sense that I would like to offer nuanced and unconventional viewpoints about them. So if you're interested in that, that piece of writing and the rest of my writing is available in Substack, anyacots.substack.com. Today's guest, Lenore Black, is a fan favorite, and she's returning to the podcast for the second time, which I'm really excited about. It's so interesting to like reflect on the podcast overall and to see how... I don't really try to control like the themes of what I share in general or through the guests at any given time. It just so happens, I suppose, in you know divine timing for one, but also I guess what I'm interested in at that particular point and who I'm reaching out to. But I feel like there's a theme on the podcast cropping up right now, which is about the importance of having conversations and dialogues with people who we don't agree with and doing our best to remain curious and open as opposed to closed off and limited to our own individual ideological silos. So I feel like last week's episode, or maybe it wasn't last week, last episode, whenever I put that out, whenever before I came down with COVID, um, I think was actually very much a part of this theme as well. Um, arriving to Africa with a lot of preconceived notions about what it was going to be like there and what some of the issues um, 
were like that were happening there at the time and sort of getting my mind blown and being challenged uh, and really grateful to Elia, who was our guide in Tanzania for kind of opening my eyes to a lot of things and making me think about things in more complex ways. And then today, this conversation with Lenore is also very much about unpopular opinions and spending time around people who have unpopular opinions and feeling more brave to express unpopular opinions and also developing more of a sense of comfort and um, humility when it comes to changing our minds and to admitting that we were wrong about something or that maybe we don't know everything about something and that certainty is an illusion um, that also prevents our growth and so maybe you won't agree with everything that Lenore has to say. Maybe you didn't agree with everything that Elia had to say. <laughs> maybe you don't. I hope you don't agree with everything that I have to say. I think it's a total illusion that we can find anyone that agrees, that we agree with 100%. Um, but I really love that this community and this podcast has been a space to really cultivate these concepts of nuance and paradox and growth through curiosity and humility and openness. So... Thank you for doing this with me and for being on this journey with me because it's definitely not something that I can do alone. It requires all of you. Uh, and I love he hearing from all of you, whether it's via email or comments on the Substack post. You can actually comment on podcast episodes now via Substack, which is really cool. So after listening to this or after listening to any episode, if you find something interesting or challenging or triggering or relatable or just want to say hi, you can head over to Substack, anyakots.substack.com. What else do I want to say? A couple of announcements. Um, meetups for this fall. I put a page up on my website, anyakots.com slash podcast dash meetups. Uh, Chris and I are going to try to plan more meetups this year. Uh, but like last year, what was really helpful is for all of you guys to send us recommendations for where you think we should meet in any given city, given that we're going to be doing these in cities that we're not necessarily familiar with. So head to that um, link, take a look. They tend to sort of change and shift last minute. We already have the first one confirmed though, which is really cool, in Kalispell, Montana, which is actually going to be hosted at the home of Kevin Russell, who has been on the podcast twice, former Mormon, really cool dude, gave me that phrase that I use all the time about how when we're going through a dark night of the soul, we enter into an open source state where we're incredibly vulnerable to attacks uh, while we sort of develop um, and come up with our new programming and our new software. And so it's going to be hosted at his place. He also has a hip camp, which is really cool. So if you want to spend the night, you can do that. The link and all the information um, is on my website. And if you live anywhere near the other cities I have listed, please send me an email and let me know if you have any ideas of where we should meet up. I would love to meet all of you. I love doing the meetups. They're relatively stressful to plan because we have no idea where we're going to be any given day or week, um, but they're important to me. So uh, going to try to make it work again. Uh, the other announcement is that Chris and I, along with Cameron and Melaine Shane, um, who are the founders of Budokan, um, who also live in uh, Whitefish in Montana, right near Kalispell. We're doing a, a retreat with them this summer, and I didn't even get to talk about it this much on the podcast, that much on the podcast, because it filled up really, really quick because they have a limited amount of spots for people to stay. Um, but we're hosting a retreat called the Sex at Dawn Retreat, 
and it's going to sort of com combine like intellect and movement and psychology uh, and talk about relationships and the way that we relate both through our minds and through our bodies. Uh, and it's a retreat that's happening September 7th to September 11th, I believe. And two last minute spots just opened up. It's been full for a long time. Uh, I'm not really sure in the details of why those spots opened up, but they did. There's two spots and you can apply. I'm sure they're going to fill up really quickly, but you can apply at budokon.com. That's B-U-D-O-K-O-N.com slash events dash sex dash at dash dawn. So events, sex at dawn, all with dashes <laughs> in the title. Um, budokon.com slash events, sex at dawn. And you can apply there if you would like to join us. And I'm not going to say much more. I'm going to read you something. Um, and I want to save some of my capacity to speak for that. I also have a really exciting podcast guest that I'm um, interviewing tonight. I cannot wait to share it with you. I've thought about like hinting at it. Um, but I think I'm just going to keep, keep it a secret uh, until I release the episode. Um, but before I get into the piece that I wanted to read, um, I just wanted to reiterate this idea that I've been thinking about so much in this practice that I've been trying to cultivate so much around opening up my mind um, to thinking outside of my own box and my own perspective and my own experience. And I know that I feel like this podcast is like dedicated to that and I talk about it constantly and I'm sure you've all heard me talk about it ad nauseum at this point. But I don't think it's something that we can just like do. I think it's something that requires practice. We constantly have to flex the muscle of curiosity and constantly have to flex the muscle of nuance. Um, and also flex the muscle of, you know, assuming that we know the answer to something. So I know that's difficult. And I know that's really difficult right now because we care a lot about these things, right? Like abortion, for example, um, like contraception as another example, as like who the hell is gonna be the next president as a third example. We care a lot about these things and we feel like they're excruciatingly important. Some, for some of us, they might feel like life and death issues and that's valid, but I think the more intense and triggered we get about our particular issue, the more we should see these as kind of like red flags for taking a breath and sleeping on it before we say something, thinking about it before we respond and reflecting on it before we become reactive. And also recognizing that our reactivity and our sort of triggered emotional outbursts are oftentimes, yes, a reflection of something we care deeply about and that matters and that's important, but also maybe something that we haven't thought through as much as we potentially could. Um, I know I have had that experience many times in my life, so I always try to sit with it as best I can. And again, you know, enter into this like it's a yoga practice or something, right? Like something that requires work and something that we're not meant to necessarily master, just continue to practice over and over until it becomes more second nature and more comfortable. So this episode is in honor of that. A lot of these episodes will be in honor of that. I'm, uh, the next podcast that I'm going to release is with someone called Monica Guzman, who wrote a book called I Never Thought of It That Way, which was great. And it was really lovely to speak with her. 
And yeah, you're gonna be hearing a lot of, of these ideas repeated in various ways um, over the next several weeks. So hope you're uh, along for the ride. And I wanted to read you today um, a little, little snippet from uh, Desert Solitaire by Edward Abbey, which is a book that I read also while suffering from COVID. It was a very productive bout of COVID, I have to say. I was thankful, like, it felt really terrible and I have not left the house in like a week, um, but I was thankfully well enough to read and write. So I did that. Um, and I wanted to read this piece because I felt like it had a lot to do with these concepts that I'm talking about right now, about sort of like the polarity that we are experiencing and the polarization that we experience and the silos that we, you know, intentionally or unintentionally put ourselves into and the importance of like looking across the aisle and seeing the humanity in the people that we think are maybe not so human or not as human as us or not worthy of as much empathy or understanding as we feel we are worthy of. And also because a lot of what Lenore, Lenore and I talk about is her move from New York to Joshua Tree. Desert Solitaire is all about the desert and we talk a lot about the desert and uh, like cowboys and rednecks in this episode. So I just thought this passage was incredibly um, appropriate to read before sharing this conversation. Uh, so I'm going to read you this passage, and then after I read the passage, um, the music behind what I'm going to read is called Desert Solitaire uh, by Greta Morgan, um, and then I'm going to play you into our conversation with Ends of the Earth by Lord Huron. Huron? Is that how you pronounce it? Gosh, how many different artist names have I mispronounced on this podcast? Like, way too many. And while I don't think this song is about looking across the aisle and solving political polarization, <laughs> the lyrics really reminded me of that and just reminded me of a lot of my motivation and inspiration for this podcast of going to the ends of the earth and continuing to ask questions and approaching everything with an open mind. There's a lyric in it that says, there's a world that calls for me, girl, heading out, headed out into the unknown wayfaring strangers and all kinds of danger. Please don't say I'm going alone. To the ends of the earth, would you follow me? There's a world that was meant for our eyes to see. So will you come to the end of the earth with me? <laughs> I'm glad you're all here. I'm glad you're all running to wherever the hell we're running, whether it's the end of the earth or the end of the world toward whatever future we hope to create as imperfect as it may be. So enjoy this passage by Edward Abbey, enjoy the song, and I will catch you on the other side. But now they are gone, some six or seven hundred years later. Though not as a race extinguished, their descendants survive in the Hopi, Zuni, and other Pueblo tribes of Arizona and New Mexico. What drove the ancient ones out of the canyon lands? Marauding enemies, drought and starvation, disease, the fear born of nightmares, the nightmares that arise from fear, a combination of these and other causes. The old people have left no record of disaster on the mural walls of the canyons. We can do no more than make educated guesses based on what is known about climactic changes, tribal warfare, and Indian village life in the Southwest. 
In almost all of the cliff dwellings, valuable property was abandoned. Arrowheads, pottery, seed corn, sandals, turquoise, and coral jewelry, which suggests that something happened which impelled the inhabitants to leave in a great hurry. Even if the reservation could attract and sustain large-scale industry, heavy or light, which it cannot, what have the Navajos to gain by becoming factory hands, lab technicians, and office clerks? The Navajos are people, not personnel. Nothing in their nature or tradition has prepared them to adapt to the regimentation of application forms and time clock. The cowboys have their troubles too. Cowboyism rides rampant as never before on a field of golden neon dollar signs, but job openings for working cowboys are scarce. The cattle growing industry, like almost everything else, has been mechanized and automated. There was a time, and not so very long ago, when ranching was a way of life, and a good one. Now it is simply a component of the lab-to-market food processing apparatus. You take a steer, drop a hormone tablet in his ear, and step back quickly. The steer bloats up suddenly like a poisoned pup, and you've got $200 worth of marbled beef on the hoof, waiting for the meat hook. While the actual working cowboy disappears, along with the genuine non-working Indian, the make-believe cowboys flourish and multiply like flies on a pecan pie. Everywhere you see them now, from California to Florida, from Texas to Times Square, crowding the streets in their big white hats, tight pants, flowered shirts, and high-heeled fruity boots. From the rear, many of them look like women. Many of them are women especially in the small towns west of the Mississippi, where cowboyism as a cult grows in direct ratio to the disappearance of cattle herding as an occupation. You will see the latest Mr. and Mrs. Cattleman couple in authentic matching Western costume, the husband with sunburnt nose and belly bulging heavy over a steer horn buckle, heavy enough to kill a horse with, and his wife, a tall, tough broad, in gabardines and boots with a look on her face that would make a Comanche blanch. But it wasn't always a fake. Cowboys and Indians disappear, dying off or transforming themselves by torturous degrees into something quite different. The originals are nearly gone and will soon be lost forever in the overwhelming crowd. Legendary enemies, their ghosts right away together, buddies at last, into the mythic sunset of the West. Weep, all you little rains, wail, winds wail, all along, along, along the Colorado Trail. Thank you.
All right. I'm here with Lenore, and I'm hello, so, hello. so excited. Um, it's funny. I feel like right after we had our first conversation, I like wanted to record another one, but I'm kind of glad we waited because so much has happened since <laughs> yes. we last talked. Um, yeah, I had to like, I had to Google us to figure it out, but we talked in January, 2021. So it's been like a year and a half, although it feels like 10 years. I was going to say, I was like, oh, it's got to be before the pandemic, but it was after. That's wild. Or during, Jesus. I keep During, I think. Yeah. I think I just kind of like try to block all of it out. I was like, before and after. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you had already, you moved to Joshua Tree. And I don't know when that happened, but I feel like that happened close to either when we talked or right after we talked. Is that? I think it was right after. Yeah. Um, so why don't we start there? Because I feel like you had a sort of similar journey to me in kind of like wanting to transform your life and change a lot of things, <laughs> but not really necessarily like knowing where you were going or what was going on or where you would end up, um, and sort of like followed your nose to some extent. So I'm curious about that process yes. for you and what that was yes. like. Definitely followed my nose. And, and it was, it was interesting too, because it was like, New York was never meant to be my long-term home. Like it just, it wasn't a place that I always felt super comfortable in. And it's funny because I always kind of joke like, oh, I accidentally ended up in New York. And of course, like I'm friends with these diehard New Yorkers and they're like, what the fuck? Okay. People don't just accidentally end up in New York. You work your whole life to get here and you stay forever. And it's like this, it's like this cult. Right. And, um, and so my ex, I was living with him, um, before in New York and the plan was always kind of to come back to California. But during the pandemic, he started a business in South Korea and it was right before. So he's like, you know, I'll be back and forth like every few months. And I was like, okay, you know, we've been living in a tiny apartment for a while. That that's yeah. that'll be fine. And then he just never came back. <laughs> wow. So it was, it was kind of this like pandemic heartbreak kind of story, which I found out was like very common. Like a lot of people were either like stuck together in ways where they had never been, you know, like husband, even though they were husband and wife, they never spent much time together (laughs) before. And, and like, in my case, it was just kind of this other thing. And so, so I was like, all right, like, what the fuck do I want to do? And I was definitely feeling really run down, you know, by all the restrictions and everything there. And I was just like, dude, this is not like how I planned on living my life. And so I kind Mm -hmm. of was just like, I need to go back to California. I'll figure it out when I get there. So I ended up staying with one of my girlfriends, which I think is probably where we recorded the episode or maybe I was still in New York. I can't remember, but but yeah, so I was down there and it's kind of, and I never thought of myself as a SoCal girl. We'll put it that way. Like I was, I like, I like the big trees. I like the space of Northern California. I yeah. like the weird hippie people. Like it was just, that was way more my scene. And then I ended up, yeah, in like Southern California and I kept going out to Palm Springs, weirdly enough. Like it was just <laughs> kind of like, I had some friends staying out there. And I was like, and it was during the winter too, so there's snow on the mountains, and it is just like unreal how beautiful it is. But then it's also Palm Springs. It's like weird little manicured lawns and palm trees everywhere and like old people and gay people, which is amazing, but it's just like this very specific um, place. And it was funny because I was like, you know, I just need 
like, I like Palm Springs, but I just need something kind of different. And my buddy was like, well, have you ever thought about Joshua Tree? And I was like, oh, people live there? Like, I had no idea. Like, I had never been to the park or anything. Mm. And, and it was crazy, too, because I went up for the first time, and it was just like it instantly felt like home. Like it was, it was fucking crazy. I've never, and I'm, I'm always someone who feels like I don't quite fit in anywhere because I'm from rural Michigan originally. So there was always this joke where it was like growing up, everyone's like, you're such a goddamn hippie. You need to move to California. Right. Yeah. So then I moved to California and I meet the hippies and I'm like, these people are fucking crazy. Like, like I'm like too, like too much of a hippie for the, you know, for Michigan and then too much of a redneck for California. And so <laughs> Like Joshua Tree is kind of this like perfect little yeah. like California redneck community. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, I feel understood. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, and now I'm just remembering too that we did Mariana's tea course together yes! at the same time. Yes! I forgot about that. And I um, actually think that that was a major factor for me. Like mm. when she kind of talked about t- like um, tea as a nature. Right. It was like I didn't realize, of course, in New York, I think I lived next to a park, but but it's nothing compared, you know, and we even had hawks there. So that's it kind of started this whole journey of me really trusting my intuition Mm. and creating like a really strong um, connection with it. And so it was like hawks were my big animals and like my big thing. And so. In New York, we had these hawks in the park, and I was like, oh, see, I'm, I'm meant to be here. Like, this is perfect. <laughs> and then as I kind of came out here and, you know, through tea, it was like, oh, I'm realizing, like, how um, disconnected I am from nature and how I have been for a very long time and that it just wasn't um, wasn't as present in my life as I really wanted it to be. Uh, so, yeah, it felt like during... And it was interesting. Oh, yeah, it was very interesting because it was during a tea ceremony. I did this, like, meditation kind of thing and just, like, went off for, like, an hour and a half and was like, all right, where do I live? Like, where where do I go? What do I do? Hmm. And this old woman came to me in, like, a vision, and she was like, oh, I'm the spider woman, and, like, you can... And, like, she, like, gave me permission, but it was, like, under one condition, like, you have to respect the spiders. And I was like... Oh, do I have to? Those aren't really my my favorites, but uh, all right, sure. And so, yeah, and then of course I end up out here where there's just giant fucking spiders, and I'm pretty pretty forced yeah. to uh, to respect them. But um, but yeah, and then I moved to this house where there's a hawk nest in my front yard, and like, and at the time it was funny too. Like Queens of the Stone Age is one of my favorite bands. And I had decided during the pandemic, like, like follow Queens of the Stone Age. Like, wherever you hear them, like, it means you're in the right place. And then I move out here and someone's like, oh, you know, they're from here, right? Like, the lead singer has a house right up the street. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it felt very, yes, I was very much following my nose, following my heart, and completely accidentally, again, ended up in the perfect place. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I've experienced so many of those synchronicities too, having, I mean, now of course I don't have a home at all, but in a previous iteration of me finding a place to live and then like ending up there and realizing that there were like all these things, like it felt like waiting for me in a sense. Mm, Yes, Um, yes. So 
And how do you, did you feel like you at the same time of sort of like embarking on this physical relocation that you were also going through stuff personally? Because I feel like when we spoke, you had just sort of like come out talking a lot about the abuse that you'd, uh, sexual abuse that you'd experienced as a kid. And then I think like, I remember after we recorded, like, you're like, we should record another podcast that's, like, less manic, because I feel like I was just, like, so, so I'm curious, like, what was that, like, I'm sure it was, it's so complex and still going on, but, like, what was happening during that time for you emotionally? Yeah, so, it was interesting, too, because I think in a lot of ways, I, I think, truly, I just hit a fucking wall with it. Like, I just hit, I hit a wall with Instagram, I hit a wall with the internet, I hit a wall with, like, oversharing on the internet and it became like and I think in a lot of ways like I was super triggered by the QAnon shit where it was like where they're like oh the Democrats are pedophiles and they're sacrificing mm-hmm. children to Satan and I was like you guys don't understand like what sex trafficking actually looks like and and I think it bothered and because we were just all we had was our phones yeah. for those two years it was like I felt like I was in this echo chamber like hearing about it all the time and, and it just became this thing where I was like, I think in some ways I felt like I could write, um, write my own wrongs, my perceived wrongs, right. Through like sharing my story and becoming an advocate and like, and then my whole business was based off of sexual healing. And, and I just like hit this wall where I was like, dude, this isn't my journey. Like, or it, it's my journey, but it's not my job. It's not my job. Like I can't, it's not up to me to heal the world. And it's also not, um, like it's not going to, it's not going to like absolve me of all my guilt magically or like heal my, you know, past wounds. And so it became this like, kind of like next stage of trauma healing where you're just like, yeah, dude, whatever. (laughs) Like I'm just kind of moving on. And so And it was like, and I also kind of felt, it was also happening around the same time as I became like really disillusioned, which we've we've talked about this a lot, Um, really disillusioned with the Instagram goddess community. And it became this thing where I was like, dude, what am I, like, I almost didn't even recognize myself. And it was crazy because I made $30,000 one month. And it was like, everything was working so well. Like, and I was just like, and you know, the Instagram goddesses love to talk about how much money they make. It's like a big thing. And, um, (laughs) and so I was just like, oh my God, like I am the Supreme. I turned 30. It was like my highest month ever. Mm -hmm. Like I was on cloud nine, but then I was just like, I just woke up one day and I was like, who the fuck am I? Like, this isn't, it's not me. Like I felt, um, I felt like I was kind of emulating the people that, um, that I, that were teaching me, I guess, or that I was being mentored by. And, Mm -hmm. and it just started to feel so incredibly fake. And it was kind of, and it's funny, I, you've seen me like this with all my communities. It's like, I get deep into a community and I'm like total cult member. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love this. And then I just wake up and I'm like, dude, you guys are fucking crazy. I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and what do you think, that is about you because I feel like that's, I mean, I definitely have like, I definitely transformed my life in a really, really substantial kind of traumatic way about six years ago on like every front, like Mm -hmm. career, personal life, relationship, relationship structure, like worldview, like everything. 
Um, and that was incredibly intense and overwhelming. And I feel like I'm the type of person that just like goes really hard at, <laughs> at things, which I feel like you sort of do as well. Yep. But I'm curious if you thought about that, because I feel like there are so many people that get really stuck in like, well, I said I was going to do this, so I have to see this through or like all of these people are watching or um, yeah. just feeling sort of like actually ashamed or embarrassed to be like, actually, you know what? That's not me. Like, what do you think that is about <laughs> your personality? I have no I goddamn idea. I mean, yeah. it's funny. I feel like now I kind of, of course, it's like human design is so trendy. And I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm like a reflector. So I think in a lot of ways, like it is kind of my job in some way to just like dive headfirst into things, but also be the first one to be like, oh yeah, guys, this is, this has gotten weird. And it's, it did, you know, I did it with the sex work community. I did it with the kink community. I did it with the queer community. And that's been, we'll get more into that later, but, <laughs> but yeah, where it's, and it's funny because I realize how it um, can be perceived. Right. Or I'm mm. like, okay, like I was, very much talking about this thing or like all of these things for a long time and then I come out and then I talk shit about those things for a while too and yeah. I'm like and I feel like I'm just always kind of continuously evolving in that way and I'm like I don't know if it's if it's a boredom thing or if I'm just searching for searching for like truth in some yeah. level and and it's always like this kind of constant search for truth but I also believe that there is no definitive truth right. but in, but in my opinion it's like but I gotta just try like I'm like I gotta try everything at least three times in order to yeah. just know whether or not like it's really into it or not <laughs> yeah totally I mean I say something which like is relatively nonsensical but I do th not both nonsensical and super cliche which is that I think like the journey is the destination and like yes. the question is the answer um I wonder too, like, do you think part of it is, and I feel like this is super popular and trendy nowadays because everyone's freaking out and feel like they don't have any control that like their identity becomes like they, people take on these identities or like these like ideological viewpoints that then become them. You know? Yes. Oh my God. And I, <laughs> I have so many feelings about that too. And it's, it's funny too, because I'm like, I actually thought I've been kind of weird for the past like seven years because I'm like, dude, I don't care about this shit as much as everybody else does. Yeah. Like identity has never been, um, a strong thing for me. And it's funny because the way I see it manifest on like a small level every day is when I tell people my name and mm. my like given name, right? I love my, I love my birth name. I'm not fucking, I like, I, I go by lots of names, right? Yeah. Had lots of names over the years and I tell them my name and it's really easy to like mispronounce, right? Mm. And so someone's like, oh wait, is it this or is it that? And I'm like, I don't care. It's whatever you want it to be. Like you can call, like you can literally call me a completely different name and I'm still just like not going to correct you because I just don't it's really not that important you know and so yeah. it's been so funny to see and I guess it's I don't know to me it's funny that people just like they cling so hard to these identities almost to the point where I don't even think they will admit to themselves nor will they admit publicly like when it's not serving them when it's not working out and maybe when it's like not healthy like as we yeah. see in a lot of like that was kind of why I, I left the queer community. And, and it's funny, I will say, 
the queer community never wanted me anyway, right? Like, I'm, I'm like a cis, bisexual woman, like, and I, I still remember, oh my God, I'll say this on your podcast because it's fucking hilarious, but I still remember the day I decided to become queer, right? This was in 2015. I was dating. The day I decided to become the day, <laughs> and um, I was dating my ex, and I remember I was moving to Oakland, and Oakland is like ultra queer, right? Yeah. And I was moving to Oakland, and I was like, yeah, you know, bisexual, and he's like, well, actually, you know, really, bisexuality isn't that cool anymore. Like, like queer is cooler because. If you say you're queer and you try to fuck a lesbian, they're less judgmental about it versus saying, but yeah. and so I was like, yeah, I want to fuck more lesbians. I'm queer. <laughs> <laughs> and guess how many lesbians I fucked? Zero. None, like it, yeah. did, it did not, it did not help me any. So I was just, <laughs> was like, this is fucking, I'm out of here guys. But, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Words are weird. I mean, I, I. I feel like there's, and this makes me super unpopular, but I feel like so many of these things nowadays are trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, mm-hmm. and I don't, that's not even to like blame anyone for like wanting to fit in or like wanting to feel like they're a part of something. But at the same time, I think, like I said before, that like when it comes time to try, I did a podcast with my dad actually recently. My dad is gay, but like, older so (laughs) didn't grow up (laughs) like very different community um and he he says he's like you know identity should be something you like try on like an outfit that then you like take off you know (laughs) yes yes and it's it's also wild to hear someone gay say that too because I feel like you know these days they're just like the most hardcore about things and 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 it's been interesting too because you know and this is again, like, also kind of my controversial opinion, like, building upon that, like, identity is meant to be fluid, I think, like, way, and, and there are people, like, I will say, I have gay friends that were, like, I have literally known since the second I was born, or, like, yeah. trans friends, or whatever, but I think a lot of the other people are kind of somewhere in the middle, and, and that it's also okay to, like, admit that, and, and be, yeah. like, that you can try things, and also, like, move on, you know, too, and or not even move on, or just keep moving, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the point, is to just, like, keep moving in any direction, and whatever feels good, and whatever feels right in that moment, you know? Yeah. Totally. I'm definitely not as uh, bisexual <laughs> as I used to be, which is kind of funny. Like, like, that's been one where I'm like, ooh, does sexual orientation change, like, yeah. more than I thought? And, yeah. and it's funny, I've thought about like why that is and this is probably also going to sound super shitty and sexist but um (laughs) during the pandemic I became way less bisexual because like maybe in my mind like sleeping with women like having these like romantic relationships with women felt like oh we do that when things aren't good Mm. and then all of a sudden it became like it felt to me at least like everything became about survival and I realize I am kind of living my own, like, Mad Max fantasy world right now where I'm like, yeah, the apocalypse, like, it's coming. <laughs> but, like, but, yeah, it just became this thing where I was like, oh, I need to focus on, like, my survival. And, like, you know, I feel like, unfortunately, a woman is not going to defend me the same way a man would, like, if shit really fucking went down. And so that's my, that's my spicy opinion of the day. One of, yeah. one of many, probably. But <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so we begin. Um, yeah, well, and uh, it's like anything, right? I mean, we can, I was just reading an article recently about um, like the ending of friendships and how we don't really have like a lot of conversations about that. Mm-hmm. And it's like not super popular and sort of like almost taboo. Whereas like the ending of romantic re- partnerships is like well-documented and spoken about like <laughs> ad nauseum, but we don't talk about when a friendship sort of like runs its course. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there are just certain things in our lives that work really well for the, the moment and like teach us something, whether mm. it's friendships or like a specific relationship with a specific person or like in a specific um, construction or, you know, structure yeah. of the relationship. And then like, maybe it doesn't. And then maybe it does again. And I think when we like hold on to these things as identities, then we like lose the opportunity to move through like whatever we need to move through. Yeah. And um, like, and see the value and the lesson. And, and it's been nice because it's like, sometimes I think people just need a little bit of a buffer between them and everything. And it's like, I see it, you know, in the, in the kink community and the queer community and the sex work community where they're very like ultra, they're ready to cancel everybody. Right. And it's like, we've talked about that before and it's just, it's interesting because it's like, I think you guys need to just take a step back for a second and like look and realize like that there's a lot of things happen. And, and I think too, it's like all of those things maybe appeal to like our lizard brain, right? Mm -hmm. Like our like, I want justice, like, at all costs, and, like, this kind of, like, mob mentality and, like, what happens when um, when people get in these kind of, like, unconscious, bloodthirsty, like, whatever, thought loops. And, yeah. And, and that's been something very amazing about the desert as well is my house, like, in the small community that I'm in, like, Joshua Tree is definitely has different little pockets for sure, but I am definitely in the pocket with, like, lots of Trump signs and tons of anti-vaxxers and everybody's got guns. I've got guns. Like it just kind of like, like I have also radically um, shifted my opinions in the past year and a half. And, and it's been so nice. Like I almost, fuck, it's like, I kind of, I've hung out with a few of my friends from New York have came and visited me over the past few weeks. And I'm like thinking in my head, I was like, oh shit, I got to be like code switching, right? Because like, (laughs) I'm used to like talking about things one way out here. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, like I got to be careful about what I say. But also like, I'm not really that careful. I just, I just truly like, I just don't care anymore. And, and it's been nice to just like also get that space from like the ultra liberalism and like... it's like, I feel cleansed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite suffocating. I mean, I'm, and I imagine like, I haven't really spent a lot of time in the sort of like intense echo chamber of the right, but I certainly have on the left. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I just think it's like, I don't know. I'm reading this book now, uh, and I'm going to have the author on my podcast, but she, she's talking about like the importance of curiosity and having conversations with people who you don't agree with. I just like, okay, so I'll say this because this happened to me and I, a while ago, actually, probably around the time that we recorded our podcast, but I was thinking about it again today. I had some people on my podcast, um, women who actually just one, and then a filmmaker who made a documentary about 
um, this topic, which is women who thought they were transgender and transitioned to become men and then decided actually that wasn't the solution to what they were going through. And so they detransitioned. And so I had this one woman I podcast and the filmmaker of this film that talked about that. And I feel like that's becoming maybe more of a conversation now, but even like a year ago, it was like highly, highly taboo. Um, And I think I had someone on, of course, a black man to talk about like the negative effects of some of the anti-racism racism yes. rhetoric. So it was definitely like a, a controversial period of time in my podcast, but I reached <laughs> out to this woman who was an herbalist who I really liked and I really liked her writing and how she like approached the work and did it in this like spiritual respect. And I reached out to her and I wanted to have her on the podcast. And she wrote back to me and she said, uh, thanks for reaching out, but I can't come on your podcast because your values clearly don't align with mine. Wow. And I was just like... Okay, like I'm not entirely (laughs) surprised because I, especially if you just went to like the most recent episodes, like, okay, like definitely out of the ordinary, but also like I'm a person giving other people a platform and like, why is this Mm -hmm. woman who detransitioned any more, any less worthy of being interviewed than someone who, you know, um, and like that is the most, I just think that mentality of like, Unless you agree with me a hundred percent, I'm not like following you or being your friend or yes. having you on my podcast. Oh. Like, it's really bad. I think. Yep. Yep. It's yeah, and it's it's fucking insane, and it's been it's been so cool and funny to be like, you know, there's this local bar that I hang out at a lot. Honestly, probably too much. It's like this small little place, and all my neighbors hang out there, and they're all just like the fucking weirdest, most eclectic people. It's just desert people, yeah. and. Um, and it's been crazy to sit there and I'm listening and um, one of my favorites, oh God, I won't even say his name, but, uh, but he's, he's fucking hilarious and he's got like, let's go Brandon on the back of his car and he's like, he has a shirt that's like, guns don't kill people, Alec Baldwin kills people and he really wow. thinks he's like really going for it, right? And he's, yeah. he is hilarious and it's like some of the things that he says, I'm like, dude, you're not wrong. You know, and then other things I'm like, okay, you lost me there, but like, yeah, "Eh, whatever. And, and it's just like, and also learning to just like kind of roll with it. And, and what I think is really interesting too, is these people, right? It's like, you know, again, back to my Mad Max sexual fantasy is that just in case the apocalypse ever happened, like these people have my back and will fucking help me through anything way more than my internet friends obviously but also like liberal like they just don't they don't have the same like tribalism um that the right has and and I also think too it's it's like a geographical thing like I was Mm -hmm. thinking about this a lot recently because I'm like why is it like the cities are liberal and the rural areas are more right. Like, what, like what's the common denominator here? And I'm like, I think it just really is, like, a very different lifestyle that requires, like, a different set of values and, like, a different set of um, priorities and things. And it's like, I have found mm-hmm. myself becoming, like, more and more traditional about things over the past year and a half and being like, okay, like, maybe all of these ideas that I previously rejected as being, like, oh, like, that's so traditional or, like, that's basic or, like, Christian or that's what everybody does. And now I'm, like, okay, like, I do see the value of having, like, 
a long-term partnership. I mean, I got married. Like, it's it's like, oh, shit, I have a house. Like, there's a lot of shit to do here. Like, mm. it would be really nice if there was someone here with me all the time that could help me do all of these things. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, oh. So, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've probably, you've for a long time identified as non-monogamous and bisexual mm-hmm. and queer and mm-hmm. whatever else. Um, and made, I remember you sort of said at some point online about how you were rethinking a lot of those Mm. things, including non-monogamy. Um, and I'd love to hear your, uh, your journey with that. And yeah, I just, I, I, I mean, this was also a main reason I wanted to have you on the podcast because Mm -hmm. I feel like with any sort of like unconventional, personal choice we tend to romanticize it and like put it on a pedestal as not having any downsides and like incapable Mm -hmm. of being handled in an immature way so um I was just really like relieved to hear you kind of talk about your personal experience yeah oh my god I have so much to say about this (laughs) and it's funny because and I will say again kind of in the spirit of like trying everything three times right so so my journey to non-monogamy was interesting like I've always been a very um uh god see I'm like losing all my terminology now like romantically monogamous person like I Mm -hmm. always really fall in love with one person um But then I think I said on the last podcast interview, I was always a cheater. (laughs) So it just kind of like my relationships were just being destroyed like over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so in my head, I was just like, okay, I guess I'm not built for monogamy. Like in some level, I need to find a way where I can kind of um, kind of mitigate like the damage and also like get what I want and be happy and feel loved and supported. And so when I moved to Oakland the guy, the guy that told me I should be queer, um, (laughs) he was polyamorous. He was like full on polyamorous. And that just, who immediately did not work for me. Like that one was one where I was like, and I'll still never forget it too. He was like this sexy rope bondage artist. And, and like, it was this thing where he was like, Hey, I was like, so what are you doing this weekend? Like we hanging out or whatever. And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, sorry. I got this, uh, model flying in this weekend and I'm just gonna like fuck her all weekend and I was like what? <laughs> I was like I can't handle this and yeah. and it was interesting because I feel like there is this kind of like I don't even know how to explain it this like spiritualization of jealousy in the mm-hmm. in the polyamorous community that's like like what is your jealousy trying to tell you and like yeah. just just sit with it and feel it and I'm like Yeah, no, it's telling me that, like, I am not safe. It is making me, like, absolutely miserable. Like, I felt like it it definitely um, touched on, like, my core abandonment wound, which made it so I couldn't even, like, I could not see any value in, like, the jealousy or anything like that. And I was just like, I cannot fucking do this. And and I feel like that relationship made me crazy. Like, I I was, I almost did not even recognize myself by the end of it, like, I was being manipulative, like, sleeping with people just to try to, like, keep up with him sleeping with people, and it just became really weird, so I was like, okay, polyamory, let's cross that one off, but then, um, but then my ex and I did a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation, and that was like, okay, so we are emotionally monogamous, 
We lived together. And actually, that relationship was cool because he was in New York um, when we first started dating. And so then we were, like, ultra open, right? Because it's like, well, you live halfway across the country. And then as we got closer, I was like, well, like, let's... Let's kind of like cut off some of these lovers. And he's like, yeah, I feel like that feels good. And then we kind of like were very into each other for a while, but still Mm -hmm. open. We'd have threesomes and stuff occasionally. And then as you know, we were living in a Brooklyn apartment for two years. It was like, okay, go do whatever you want. I don't fucking care. Like, I'm just like, like it became where I'm like, like, we're good. Like, I feel very loved and connected to you and, and whatever. So that was also cool because even just throughout the course of that relationship, like we were reevaluating and mm. kind of just like talking to each other and like, how do you feel? How do you feel? Whatever. And I would say like, even though people talk shit about don't ask, don't tell, because it's like, again, you're not really like communicating at a lot on like a deep level about, you know, that specific sleeping with other people or whatever. Yeah. Um, and like, I guess maybe you do lie to each other occasionally when it's kind of this like, oh, well, what was I doing tonight? Oh, I just was going to eat dinner with my friend. Not definitely not banging somebody. Like it's kind of it's like it's like you're kind of like skirting around things a little bit, but it worked yeah. very well for me. Um, and I really, really like. I really had a great time. It was minimal drama. Um, it was wonderful. So then what came next was very interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. Um, So then during the pandemic, that was the boyfriend that left and never came back. Yeah. Right. And I remember being like, holy fuck, like we have the perfect relationship. And in my opinion. Right. And Mm. and like also, um, yeah, it like I started to realize because I'd never wanted to become married or get married either. So it became this thing where I was like, oh, holy fuck, you can just like leave me whenever you want. Like when we're not married like oh fuck that kind of that kind of stings like I just never thought it would really happen you know Mm -hmm. and so so then I move out to the desert I um I'm also going through a massive uh thing with younger men too I just kind of flipped (laughs) flipped the script on the other end and like some of them were a little too young like not like illegal or anything but just like not mature they were like 19 20 I'm like 31 and um it was very fun um (laughs) but I was like you know I think I need and it was funny I was like I'm like okay this younger and and actually just a quick little side caveat to that was like I through sleeping with younger men and like hanging out with them I have like such respect for Gen Zers and like kind Mm -hmm. of the young millennials and like there's been this like resurgence it's funny on like some level it's like they're all like no gender little anime lovers or whatever but then on the other end like they're they're like there's kind of this like resurgence of like traditional masculinity and like Mm. a lot of them are taking like being a man like very serious and and Mm. that's like incredibly sexy to me and so so kind of through this exploration I was like oh shit like so much of my all all of my trauma came from older men and I didn't realize that I think I I really harbored this like unconscious just like anger towards them and mm. I've worked a lot with my relationship to men I fucking love men of all ages and types and whatever but um but like dating younger guys is like it almost just like removes a whole thing in a way that feels like 
I can just, like, my heart is very open. Like, I feel very good about it. And mm. and I definitely have, like, my own little mommy thing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sweet little angel. But um, so anyway, I'm like, uh, now that I'm sweating. Um, but, yeah, so I met my husband, and I had kind of decided I was like, okay, like, 19 and 20, that's a little too young. I need a nice, solid, like, 24-year-old. Like, that's, like, the perfect age, right? Like, it's someone who's, like, who's, like, ready to take, take his life seriously. And so I meet my husband. He lives up here, which is also awesome. And, and that was the thing, too. I got really into, like, these ultra-masculine, like, scary military dudes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was – which is also – God, we'll have to touch on that too. I was very anti-gun and very anti-industrial, military-industrial complex for my entire life, mm. <sighs> and then it just became a fetish on accident. I don't know how <laughs> but um, so then, so I meet my husband, and you know, I always am very open and honest with uh, you know about myself on the first date, and I'm like, all right, here's the deal, dude. I'm an ex-sex worker. Like, you you got to be cool with that. Also, I'm non-monogamous. You got to be cool with that. And he was just kind of like, hmm, okay, whatever. And then, because I, I think in, in both of our minds, we just thought we were going to be like fuck buddies. And as our relationship got deeper, he kind of confessed to me one day. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not cool with that. Like, I don't want to be, um, I, I'm not into open relationships. Like, that's kind of like a major like a line in the sand that I have. And at first I was kind of like, oh, come on. Like, you've never tried it or like, let's try it. He was just like, no. Like it was something that was just like, no. And so we had this moment where it was like, okay, like I can either, you know, like you can leave and we'll never see each other again because he was kind of one of those like, I, and that's what I love about him and adore about him is he's very strong in his values. So he was like, yeah, we're not going to fuck anymore. And, like, we'll never talk again, and, and I can just leave. Or, you know, we can, tr- like, see what, what is on the other side. And I'm like, huh, okay. And then, and then I was thinking, too, I was like, well, why am I so attached to non-monogamy? Like, what is, and I was really like, it's honestly just because I'm afraid of cheating on you. Like, I'm afraid of hurting your feelings. And because even when I was with my ex, I didn't really sleep with that many people. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like I wasn't ultra active it was more so just this kind of like fail safe for me at the end of the day and so it was funny I was like I was like all right you know what maybe I'm being hard on myself like let's just try monogamy and then I've been trying monogamy ever since but (laughs) but it's funny because some some really important things happened in my body that I think are worth talking about too so so I've always been someone who it struggles to have an orgasm. Like mm-hmm. I, I can do it in like this specific position with the vibrator in this specific way. And like, you know, and, and it is like the more I know you, the longer, sorry, my dog just fell off the chair. No okay. <laughs> um, so the longer I know someone, the more orgasmic my body becomes for them. So already there's this kind of physical thing where I'm like, Oh yeah. Like really, My kink is sleeping with random people, but physically I'm not really enjoying it that much. Mm. Like, I mean, other than just like, oh, it's sex with someone you don't know. Like, it's fun and weird, but not really like, like they don't know your body. They don't understand your body and they don't really care either on some level. And so, so it was interesting because as soon as we made the choice to be monogamous, and I will say before this, 
he is already the best sex I've ever had in my life. And I'm coming from like a large sample size of like, I've probably (laughs) slept with like a thousand people. Right. And so, and I can definitively say that 95% of it is extremely forgettable, like extremely (laughs) forgettable. And then there's like the 4% that's like, okay, like this is good. Like usually we're probably in a relationship or whatever. And then there's like that 1% where I was like, all right, well, I don't think I would have became monogamous for just anybody, but for you, like, I think, I think we can work something out here. And so, so yeah, it was funny because, um, once we made that choice, all of these things started happening in my body. Like he gave me an orgasm through my nipples. I had my first vaginal orgasms that I've ever had. I was like, I was com- I came while I was driving one time. Like it was fucking weird and like I could have an orgasm in Pilates class when I do this certain <laughs> little thing with my hips and like I just wonder if it's like all this time like like maybe my orgasms weren't as difficult to achieve as I thought they were. Like maybe I just really needed a deep foundation of safety that mm. I hadn't ever like quite achieved yet and so so yeah, it's it's been this like really interesting thing where it's like I'm like, all right, I think I think I can do this. And it was funny too because there's been a few mishaps, right? So like um I was telling him about like my girlfriend that comes and visits and, and she does like pussy massage, like these amazing like like she hits these like trigger points and it's like a, kind of like a traumatic release thing sometimes and other times it feels good. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally going to pay her to give me one of those. Like it's it's amazing and he was like he was like, what? Like, you can't really, you can't really do that. Like, we're monogamous. And I was like, what? I was like, women? I was like, wait, that means I can't fuck women? And he was like, well, yeah, technically. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> so then, so then we like talked about it and he's like, all right, do your thing. Like, I don't care. Like, just, I don't want to hear about it. And I was like, okay, sure. That's, you got a deal. So it's like, we're kind of like figuring it out and like yeah. going down but it's, it's funny that I just, like, still was like, oh, that's what monogamy is. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and also, do you think, like, I mean, you talk a lot about this sort of, like, avoiding intimacy thing. Um, and I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that, too. Like, I remember one of my sort of, like, I mean, I'd heard about non-monogamy for a while and, like, it sounded theoretically great and I hadn't really tried it myself, but it seemed like, like, the ultimate form of relating and, like, definitely something that I wanted to do. And then I remember early on, like, thankfully, I remember hearing someone talk about how, like, any relationship, but especially in non-monogamy, because it's so easy to do, that it's, like, such a great way to avoid actual intimacy. Um, And it was really nice. And this was someone who was non-monogamous who was talking about it. Like for someone who really did think it was, you know, authentic and aligned for them, who was also like, but yes, also this is definitely a possibility when you engage in this kind of thing. Um, so do you feel like your participation in non-monogamy, but then also like the cheating thing was an expression of the same, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, cause I think, you know, going back to my trauma too, like in a lot of ways I was like, oh, my pussy is broken. Like there's something wrong with my pussy. Like Mm. I was very like pussy, pussy, pussy. But really I think it was my, like I had a broken heart. Like I I didn't, um, 
really think about like how heavy of a toll and like how much it disconnected me from my heart. So I think in my journey to like heal my pussy, my never ending journey to heal my pussy, I completely (laughs) just kind of fucking cast my heart to the side and just like became, you know, and, and it was definitely, it was weird because it was like an avoidance of intimacy on one hand and also like looking for intimacy in the wrong places on another Mm. hand where it was like, cause to me it was very like, like I liked sleeping with random people. So it was kind of like, you know, on some level it was like, I don't beat myself up about anything and I definitely don't regret anything I've ever done. Um, but it was just like, I was like, Oh, I see you now. Like you were looking, you were looking for love, but you didn't really know like where it existed. So you were kind of like trying to find it and then always ending up like, like, fuck, why, why am I always getting my heart broken? And, and And it was interesting, too, because it's, like, even talking about, like, my ex, who I lived with, you know, when the don't ask, don't tell, and, like, we're still friends, I adore him, like, whatever, and... And it's interesting because I see I see him doing the exact same thing, too. Yeah. Like, he was also a void. We were kind of these two, like, intimacy avoiders that were together, (laughs) that were, like, that that definitely loved each other, but, like... And I also think it was interesting, too, because especially with the don't ask, don't tell thing, you can kind of offload things a lot easier in a, um, in a relationship. Offloading or um, what like is avo- it? Avoid. Oh, yeah. What is it? Fuck. Well, I'll think of the word in a second. Okay. <laughs> but um, so like basically if our sex wasn't that great, you know, like we, we definitely kind of fell into our patterns with sex. And so like if I was feeling bored sexually instead of like discussing that with him or trying to do something different with him or like trying to work it out in our relationship, I just go Mm. fuck somebody else. Right. And so, Oh, outsourcing. That was the word. Yeah. I felt like I was like, it felt like I was kind of outsourcing all these problems that we had without really dealing with it in the core relationship. And I think he was also doing the same thing as well. So, and, and I think too, it's just one of those things where I am, a highly fluid, malleable person. So like, God forbid, you know, my husband and I don't end up together forever and for whatever the fuck reason. But um, like, I I don't know if I'm necessarily like, I'm monogamous for the rest of my life, you know? Like it, it really yeah. depends on like the person and the situation and like how it kind of um, feels in the moment. And so for this, it definitely just feels like, like I'm really kind of, I don't know, just like, it's, it's very confronting. And, and it was funny too, because even my friends still make fun of me. Like I just saw one of my girlfriends last night and she's just like, you're fucking crazy. Like you make absolutely no sense, like whatever. (laughs) But, but it's like, they think it's funny. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm down guys. Like I'm down for the ride. Like we'll see what happens. But yeah, it feels, it feels really good. And it feels like the right thing for sure. Um, she said it feels it's confronting. Like, mm. what is for you? I mean, also, I guess for other people who know you, but how, how does yeah. it feel? What have you confronted in the process? Yeah, <laughs> it feels definitely my intimacy wounds and, and definitely my um, ability to really depend on somebody. Mm. Like, I've been someone that always lives by myself. And again, it was kind of this, um, 
remedy to past situations, right? So it was like, I was, I was non-monogamous because I was a cheater. So I was like, well, non-monogamy will fix, the, like, put, like, a little Band-Aid on it and, like, that'll fix it. Right. And then, um, you know, it was like I had, I struggled in relationships. Like, I was super, I was super abusive to my partners when I was younger. Like, fucking, I was a fucking psycho. Like, I would not have wanted to date me. I... Like, just was absolutely, and that's, and I think it's interesting, this is another little side thing, like, there is a difference between acting abusively and being an abuser. I definitely, like, one's a fucking verb and one is a fucking noun. Like, people just don't, they don't get it. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, I I wouldn't call, I don't call myself an abuser. I don't think of myself as an abuser, but I behaved very abusively towards my partners when I was younger and I was just young and I had a lot of bullshit that I hadn't dealt with and I didn't want to and so in that way it was like you know I'm growing up I'm learning and it actually took someone cheating on me to finally be like oh fuck like this is what I've been doing to other people and like oh this hurts like, it, it really, like, I needed kind of a taste of my own medicine. <laughs> I needed to date someone that was just a little bit better at it than me. And then I was just like, <laughs> oh, fuck, like, this, I don't want to hurt people like this anymore. Yeah. And so it's interesting because then I was like, all right, the, obviously the Band-Aid for this problem is lock myself away in a tower and, like, withdraw from society. And, like, and I largely did. It was like, you know, I was a sex worker. I worked by myself. I lived by myself. Like, I, was, I lived this very solitary life, even though yeah. I was kind of this, like, internet person. Um, but, excuse me. <laughs> I, was, I was, like, thinking I could hide the burp, but it's, it's just right <laughs> in the microphone. Um, but, yeah, it was... So it was kind of this thing of like, yeah, I, I don't need people. I don't need anybody. I have myself in it. It's me only. And like, and even in non-monogamy, I felt like I could still kind of hide under that veil of like, yeah, well, it's me at the end of the day. And like, you know, I'm, we're choosing each other to be partners, but we could disappear at any moment and blah, blah, blah. And like in marriage and in monogamy, like it is not like that. Like you are like you are actively choosing each other like every single day in this way and like, and depending on somebody and, and also, but not like over depending on them. It's, it's like, you don't want to become like codependent. Um, and I feel like I've definitely hit a nice groove with it too. And it helps that my husband for being 23 years old is like incredibly mature. Like I always say he's way more mature than I am. Like he's just like a fucking adult. It's, it's crazy. And he also kind of, and I think about this in, in any sort of relationship, when one, when at least one person can show up like in the, in their kind of like higher self or this, like bring this level of maturity or like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with you when you're talking to me like that, right. or I'm not going to, I'm not going to tolerate this. And, and for someone like me, I'm just like, oh shit. Okay. Well, I guess it's not going to tolerate it. Like I probably shouldn't do that anymore. And it's like, it's like a good, you know, there is this kind of like testing that people do. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been deeply confronting for my heart. Um, deeply confronting for my values because it is just like hilarious. Like everyone is just, I've always been like, you know, fuck the establishment, fuck this. And then it's like this weird, like circle thing where I'm like damn I became a part of the establishment <laughs> eh, I would not call you a part of the establishment yeah, that's right. you're like an establishment sympathizer or something. yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you know 
I don't understand what they're saying on some level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. It makes me think, I mean, I've thought a lot about like safety and relationships and also like being triggered in relationships. And I feel like, I don't know, it's like on the one hand, you're choosing monogamy because it's making you feel a lot safer and like a lot safer to open up and a lot safer to show your heart. But at the same time for you, unlike, you know, maybe for someone else, non-monogamy is confronting in this way. Yes, um, yes. But it's like we need this balance between like, yes, okay, we need a like, quote, safe container in which to reside, but also within that safe container, if our partner or our friends or like anyone in the world of the internet, like if we never get triggered or we never feel challenged, then we just kind of like are stagnant. Yes. And, Um, And I think relationships are the most powerful container for that. Like, they are the most powerful container. Like, and you see it all the time, too, where people come out against their exes and they're like, they abused me or this this and this happened. And I'm just like, oh, man. Like, I I know that domestic violence is nothing to be taken lightly and it is a very serious problem. But it's like, I think a lot of people just kind of they misinterpret these triggers and these scary things as like, it's abuse. And it's like, Oh, just because it's not necessarily abuse. Like it's just, you were deeply triggered and deeply confronted as relationships do. And maybe the other person was not really super, you know, they didn't want to hold space for it or they didn't give a fuck or whatever. And it just becomes this fucking mess. And yeah. And, and it's like the power it's like, I feel like relationships like now, of course, I'm like obsessing on like, I'm like, oh, you can build a tower or like crumble an empire, you know, like it's yeah. like it's like one of those things is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I like I I'm I, I feel like it's it's something hard to, to talk about, at least for me. So I'm sure you feel similarly. But like, how do you know, like when your now husband said, I don't want to be non-monogamous Like, how in that moment do you work toward understanding, like, oh, okay, is me saying, sure, let's be monogamous the best thing for me? Or am I just doing that because I'm scared? I'm just doing that because what he wants, right? Like, is there, like, a metric or, like, ways that you check in with that for yourself? And how do you navigate (laughs) that? So it is kind of a hilarious story. So (laughs) I'll never forget this. So he's he's also, like, the perfect... um, foil to me in a lot of ways like I'm this kind of like dark feminine chaotic whatever and he's this like you know like um like logic and order and he's this like man like he's good posture and he's like very well spoken and like all these things and so he and like I've never really been into guys that are spiritual like it's just my thing like I don't believe that men can't be spiritual but it's just like I like men who look at my astrology shit and they're like fucking bullshit that's not true <laughs> and it's I don't know for some reason I'm just like eh, it's like the perfect little like balance to me yeah, right yeah. And, and like it keeps me in check in a lot of ways and so yeah. so it's like he, I totally agree with that yes right a it's lot of nice. people yeah yeah I mean, because I could go, I could see myself if I dated someone like that, just like going off into like delusion world. And I still really believe in this stuff. And like, I mean, I like study astrology and teach it. And so, and I feel really level-headed, but I really like being challenged and called out for my bullshit. Anyway, I just wanted to. Yes, me too. And it's it's sexy. and, And I think it is like, 
you know, I've, that's like another thing I've gotten really into is like the whole masculine feminine thing. Like, I think yeah. there is, you know, like everyone can be all like non-gender or whatever the fuck they are these days. But for me, I, I do really like the masculine and the feminine. Like, it's just, it feels really solid to me. And so there is this kind of like, like women are kind of like chaos and men are order. And there's kind of this, this is like fun balance between the two, right? It's not quite that simple, but, yeah. but I, that's kind of how I think of it. And so... Yeah. So it was funny because he, oh yeah, and I'll never forget, he got me this present for my birthday. And it's fulgurite, so it's where lightning strikes the sand and it becomes yeah. a rock. So, so cool. my, my girlfriend is here and we immediately start like Googling what it means. And he's like, he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Is lightning striking sand and becoming a rock not fucking cool enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> like, was like, this is a geological uh, phenomenon. Like, this yeah. is cool. Like, and so, so anyway, so he's very much like that. And yeah. so during the, so he's sitting here with me and I'm just like, huh, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm, and we're, we're kind of like going back and forth about it. And I'm kind of leaning towards the fact that I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I've tried to do this before. It's just going to set us both up for suffering. Like, I know who I am. And that was the thing. I know who I am, right? Right. And so I was like, I know. Let's get my tarot cards out. And he's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And so I, and it's funny because he's the one who's like, oh, you playing with your silly little cards, right? But I shit you not. We sat down at my table. He's got, like, he's, like, breathing heavily, and he's got, like, his hands Faking fingers or, you know, just like, oh, okay, like, let's say, like, he, all of a sudden the tarot cards were very real yeah. for him. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Like, he's like, oh, shit. And it was cool because the tarot cards basically were like, yeah, you're judging yourself based off of your past. And, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't like a hardcore, like, yes, the sun, blah, 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 happy yeah, trumpets, yeah. like, amazing. But it also wasn't like death and doom and gloom either. It was very, like, logical, and it was just like, hey, you know, you're judging yourself based off of your past, and why don't you give yourself a fresh start? And I was like, fuck, well, tarot card said it, so I guess I have to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like my experience with, with that, especially tarot cards, is, like, I feel, I don't know, I feel like, on the one hand, I, I wonder, like, are the... I feel I feel like the magic that's occurring is that they are reflecting back to me what I yes. already am thinking, and it's like a mirror. Um, yep. And I think astrology is a lot of that as well. It's like not necessarily yeah. telling you something that's like crazy and that you've never felt or heard before. Mm -hmm. It's like just like or like um, the future, you know, like right, this is right. going to happen in the future. It's just like, oh, right. this is what you're currently thinking, and like let me just right. kind of reflect that back to you. Yeah. And so, so yeah. yeah, and it was funny because I was like all right, let's try it. Like, I was still just, like, I was trying this. And yeah. then it was like, oh, this is actually, like, this is easy. And, I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be easy forever. Like, we're still yeah. in the honeymoon phase or whatever. But, um, but yeah, so it was yeah. fucking, fucking tarot cards, man. <laughs> yeah, and I also, I think I appreciate... I feel like there's a lot of people in the world and on the internet who present a lot of these things as like, here's a stupid example, but I was going to have this woman on my podcast who I thought was doing really cool stuff in the realm of like health and wellness and basically saying that like, as a woman, we need to feel like nourished and like full and mm. like fed um, and that this whole sort of, like, restrictive diet, like, eat green smoothies and nothing yeah. else oh. stuff is, like, not 
helping our bodies like nor our like psychology or mm-hmm. emotional state or anything like that hormones and stuff um and then she like put up a post that was like intermittent fasting is not healthy for women and I feel like I agree with a lot of this statement probably mm-hmm. but these sort of like uh objective here's a thing that is good or is not good for oh. everyone's statements is like yep. and I yes. feel like I I appreciate um, and I, I don't know, I, I'd love for you to talk more about that too. Like what your journey is, is not everyone's journey, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the importance, especially when you follow people on the internet of like recognizing that their thing doesn't have to be yours. Yes. And, and I, it's funny. My thing is spiritual people who say that vibrators like numb your clit. Like that's, oh my fucking God. I'm like, you guys don't understand how this works. Like it's, and, and I think it is, I think it's a byproduct. Like it's, and I'm like, I don't want to talk shit about people, but it's just, some people are so simple. And, and I think too, it's more, maybe it's not the people that are simple. It's just that our culture promotes simple ideas. And that's something that I've always like loved and respected so much about you because we are not here for simple ideas we are not here for black and white you know like or band-aids or whatever it's like and especially on the internet so much of it like you get more likes you get more engagement like when something you say is really polarizing yeah and and it becomes and it's like such a reflection of our current society right where everyone is like way off in these like fucking weird little corners of the right and the left and the people in the middle are just like looked at as like crazy people or you're still like a turf and a racist or whatever, but it's like, what you don't even under, like you don't, you're not willing to even listen to what I have to say. Right. And the complexity of all these ideas. And yeah, so there's this account that I follow and he went on and, and it's a man running a female account, which is also (laughs) kind of funny to me, but, um, but he's like, all right, ladies, like, tag in like I'm pretty sure vibrators are bad for you and they make you like less sensitive or and they like numb your clit or whatever right and so then of course he's already like leading people into this so these women start sending oh yeah like I I really had to like wean myself off of my vibrator and you know my orgasms haven't been as good since but I know I'm doing the right thing and I'm like that's sad like that makes me sad like if you're like we live in the 21st century if you want to use a fucking vibrator and come your little brains out, like go for it, you know, like it's, yeah. it's not. And so it was interesting because for me, I've been using vibrators forever. Um, you know, there's definitely, I enjoy them. Right. But because after this kind of like journey into monogamy that I've had, I'm like, Oh, actually like, I don't think it's, I think you're focusing on the vibrator a little too much, like as this external thing. But I think a lot of it is, you know, like safety and intimacy. And like, then you will start to feel more orgasmic. So I send him this message and I was like, Hey, so here's my perspective. You know, like technically I don't really think it's the vibrator's fault. I think that's kind of a cop out. Like really you should focus more on like cultivating intimacy. No. And he never posted it. Never even responded. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, it doesn't line up with like your one way of how everything is supposed to be. And it's like, right. that's just not how the world is. Yeah, and and like and not only are none of these things are a hundred percent true, a hundred percent true for any given person, but then also not like a hundred percent true for 
any given time in our lives, you know, like I went through and we can talk a little bit about it, but I went through a similar journey. Like it sounds like you have like exploring my femininity and my Mm -hmm. womanhood after a really long time of feeling like that part of me was bad or that Mm -hmm. part of me needed to be transformed into something more manly or, um, and and, and at the same time, I think I went through this with my health too. Like I spent a decade engaging in these like really restrictive diets with all of these health issues and was taking like so many supplements to the point where I was just like, you know what? I'm just like sort of semi-sick whether I take all of the supplements and don't eat bread as I am if I eat the bread and and don't and don't take the supplements. So like, fuck it. Like I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop everything. And I stopped everything and I told myself like, I'm just going to allow myself to eat whatever I want and I'm not going to do any of this stuff anymore. And I got better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and that was super powerful for me and like super aligned for me. But if I were to just to say to everyone, oh, like the solution to all your health problems is that you eat whatever you want and stop taking all of your supplements. Like that's ridiculous, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And so, yeah, I, what was the, I mean, in speaking about the femininity thing, like I think a similar thing is true where, I mean, I talk a lot about femininity, which can be, I, I also, I've, I've, um, started calling it like night psychology, right? Like the day being the masculine Mm, and the night, because I do think that there is like some degree of limitation because we exist in this very like triggered world around gender. Like Mm -hmm. there are other ways to describe what I'm talking about. Yin and yang, you know? Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like if we as women, but anyone of course, like don't develop our own autonomy and our own capacity to set boundaries and our own Mm -hmm. like ability to like move through the world and be successful and protect ourselves, then taking on those sort of like receptivity or like allowing yourself to be submissive or whatever you want to call it can be dangerous, you know? Like but yes. so anyway, I'm, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and, your own well, experience. and it's been interesting too, because I think I was always kind of in that like non identity phase, kind of like the thing with my name where I'm just like, eh, yeah. what? And so it's like the masculine feminine thing. I was first introduced to it in the Tantra community. This was like mm-hmm. back in like 2014, 2015. And yeah. I remember one of my girlfriends, she's like, She's Russian too, so she's like, you got to get into this. Like, it's very good. And I was like, I was like, eh, I just don't get it. Like, I don't really get it. And, and I think, um, in a lot of ways I had, well, and I, I remember a very specific moment. I remember the day this happened too, where it was like, in my mind, in my teenage self, you know, I had been hurt by men. So therefore I had this moment where I was like, I need to become a man therefore they can't hurt me anymore and so it was kind of this like very conscious like I'm gonna fuck like a man I'm gonna talk like a man I'm gonna act like a man and I remember I worked for a Republican lobbyist in college he was he was actually hilarious he wasn't like 
like a super like pro-life or anything weird like that. Like he was just a businessman. Yeah. And and he was always like sipping his martini, like, I'll be whatever you want me to be, baby. <laughs> like he was just kind of one of those guys. And so I remember like going out with him and we would smoke cigars and we would drink martinis and drink scotch. And I remember being like, this is what men do. And I am a man and I can yeah. hang out here. And it was kind of <laughs> yeah. just like, it was so funny now that I look back. And I still do enjoy those things. But like, it came from, it definitely came from this feeling of like, it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to be a woman. It was just that I wanted to be as much like a man as possible. Therefore, like no one can hurt me or whatever. And yeah. And it was interesting because I still never got the whole, yeah, masculine, feminine thing, whatever. But I was into it in, in like, my magical practice, my spiritual practice, where it's like, oh, yeah, the god and the goddess. Like, these kind of, like, dualities and parts of life. And so it was interesting. Like, I feel like it was kind of when I became very disenfranchised with, like, the modern dating scene which was like after my ex you know after we kind of broke up when he left and mm -hmm. I kind of was thrust back into the dating scene and I'm like you know what like this fucking sucks like especially especially being non-monogamous and trying to navigate the day and even being monogamous and trying to like everyone's kind of like oh well I don't really care and it becomes this thing where you're both having a competition everyone's having a competition of like how little they care about each other and yeah. it just felt like this weird kind of game and and whatever and so I think it kind of started when I started dating these like kind of like ex-combat veterans you know it's like they're like in like they're like the quintessential like warriors right and yeah. there's like the warrior archetype and and it was interesting because it was like all of a sudden I'm like oh you make me feel like a woman <laughs> and, and, it, and all of a sudden it was like thousands of years of like ancient technology it was just like a program in my brain that was like oh let's download this program and like see what's in here and I was like oh this is like really fucking cool right and and I'm still like my feminine and it's funny too like I've gotten way more into the study of it and it's kind of becoming like my new sex thing where it's like I'm kind of like over sex for a while definitely not over having it but just over like obsessing about learning so much about it yeah. and and I really like this kind of femininity thing because there's so many interpretations of it right so um I've worked with people where it is kind of that more like yeah like submissive and like surrender to the man and and like I like that um but it's not <laughs> It's not the expression of the... It's not, like, the ultimate expression of the feminine to me, which is, like, oh, someone described it really well that, like, the most feminine thing in the world is giving birth. Mm, yeah. And that when you think about, like, a woman giving birth, especially historically, like, she was tied down, sometimes gagged. Like, it was like, oh, you're disgusting. Like, we don't want to hear you. We don't want to, like, you're in pain. Like, that's gross, you know? We don't want to deal with that. And... And that it was like this really shameful thing. And so it's like, I kind of do, I do feel like in, especially in this like modern Instagram goddess bullshit that we have, that it's like, it's very much like the feminine, like there's ways that it's marketed to us where it's like the feminine is like this 
yoni wand, like, pleasure goddess, and, like, everything <laughs> feels amazing, right? Yeah. Or there's, like, this kind of, I don't know, to me it's kind of kinky, like, this ultra-submissive, like, follow-the-leader-of-your-man kind of thing, and I'm like, it's yeah. traditional. I dig it a little bit, but it's definitely kind of kinky for me, and then... And then I'm like, yeah, but what about the fucking crazy women? Like the fucking like, like the Kali, you know, the destroyer, the, the woman giving birth. Like, um, yeah. So I feel like in a lot of ways, like I'm kind of playing with this idea of like, like the wild feminine and like, what does that look like? But I mean, I'm still like a basic bitch too. Like I love Starbucks. I fucking, (laughs) I do my little, I wear my little Lululemons and I go to Pilates. I'm like, all right, like I'm not like fully feral on, on like a deep <laughs> level. Right. But, but I like, I yeah. like playing with it and, and it's like a really, it's been in so much of like kind of my recovery, we'll call it from the Instagram goddess world where everything feels like it needs to be like very perfect and very packaged. And like, yeah. we work on our trauma, but like, but we already did it. So let me just tell you about it versus this kind of like, where I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm fucked up. Like that's just how like it's, and it's cool and it's fun. And like, why would I want to pretend like I'm somebody that I'm not or like hide these like sticky parts of myself or like the crazy parts of myself or whatever. Like it's just, it's all a part of the feminine to me. Yeah. And like a part of us, I, I don't know if you know this actually, but so Every time I have a guest on, or most of the time, sometimes I forget, but I ask them to recommend a book. And I'm pretty sure you recommended Existential Kink when you were on oh, last time. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and then we had a book club, and so a bunch of us r- actually chose to read Existential Kink because mm-hmm. we choose books from previous guests. Um, and I feel like that book is still... Like, there were some parts of it that were like, whatever, she's talking about money a lot, and I'm just, like, so sick <laughs> yeah. of this, like, manifesting money <laughs> God, shit. Right? But the underlying premise of what she said I thought was so brilliant and something that I still feel like I'm unpacking for myself, which is like, and I feel like you do this, you do this, but also very openly, which is to say that like, there's a part of me that is turned on by what, you know, I'm afraid of and Mm. like what... Uh, looks on the surface as something damaging or hurtful and like how mm-hmm. can we bring those things to the surface so that we don't we're not exploring them unintentionally no we're exploring them intentionally yeah. um, and I feel like for you as someone who experienced sex, sex trafficking and like some really sort of terrifying things at a young age it's like you're not afraid to sort of go back into those places and be like mm-hmm. what was there and what might be sort of like looping me back to that place um yeah so anyway I just wanted to say thank you for that recommendation oh, I think it's yeah. so awesome yeah and it's it's fun because I just I do like the idea you know and I think so much of like yeah what repels us like, does have this kind of underlying erotic... I mean, at least for me. Like, there is this kind of, like, underlying erotic thing under there. So it's like... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like... I mean, especially as a dominatrix, it's like you saw this shit all the time where it's like... I had um, girlfriends that were, like, Asian or black and their clients would come and, you know, practice, like, extreme versions of like racist kind of undertones and like they you know they were getting paid for it and they were putting um you know their 
they're like consenting to it and whatever. Right. And it made them feel powerful to kind of flip the stereotype as well. But what I thought so fascinating about it was these fuckers would just go back to their regular lives afterwards. And I think that was something that like kind of bothered me about being a dominatrix was that it's like kink is this kind of like, it is this really powerful and the erotic in general, right. Is like one of the most powerful transformational tools that we have. And these assholes are showing up and paying $300 to have their fucking minds blown. And then they're like, all right, now I'm going to go back to being a CEO and a fucking asshole. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're not really like working through any of this shit, you know, like. Uh, Yes. I'm so glad you said this. I feel like I, I've talked about this, like to some friends, like off the offline. Um, But yeah, I actually like in a strange way, I've actually talked about this and this might be like a shitty example, but I've even talked about this. Like if you expand that out further in relation to Burning Man, like people Mm -hmm. go to Burning Man to like be themselves, but then they leave Burning Man and go back and be, yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. Like I have, I take a lot of issue or not I take a lot of issue. I'm really skeptical of some forms of like dominatrixing, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like I'm skeptical that the the man, one, I'm skeptical that the man is actually like healing, like you said, but also that yeah. the woman isn't like just enacting her own trauma of her own hatred or distrust of men. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and there's definitely some that do, I, I would yeah. say. And a lot of them that don't, but, and, right. and that's the thing. And there are some clients that show up and they do want this like transformational experience, but a lot of them don't. And it, it felt yeah. to me like, like, that's why that was almost the form of sex work I struggled the most with because I'm like, you show up and you dump all of this weird shit on me and then you leave me with it. And it, like, it just kind of disgusted me on some level after a while where I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I'll just give a hand job or whatever. It's like, I was like, like, there's less, like, baggage, you know? Like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being, uh, like, voice and an enthusiast around bringing your weird shadowy shit out into (laughs) into the public realm and out into everyday life. And I... Totally agree. And like, it's definitely, I think, difficult to, to balance, like, you know, what are we showcasing in the public realm and like, what are we keeping private and what are we um, exposing and like, what are the limits and boundaries of all of that? But I do think to some extent we need to be weirder and um, (laughs) like less like organized and Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever, um, because that's real. Um, So anyway. Thank you yeah, for chatting well, with me. Thank you. Um, so where can people find you? Oh, um, yes. So I have a, a new Instagram. It's um, at Lenore underscore black underscore. And it's kind of, I, I like having the lower follower count. It makes me very happy. And I get to be my weird self on there and, and feel a lot safer. Um, no. And then I also started writing erotica. <laughs> And it is, um, it is like cowboy erotica and it's also, um, and yeah, thank you so much for getting me on Substack. Like I am absolutely fucking obsessed with that platform. (laughs) It has been so fun and it just kind of all goes with this 
kind of new version of my internet self where I'm like, you know, I'm kind of sick of coaching people in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, I still will. Um, but I just want to be like weird and creative and fun and like, and like make the internet fun again. Like this, it just became like (laughs) so not fun for a while. Uh, It's so so true. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I've been writing erotica in my little, my little corner of Substack, and it's all kind of like historically inspired, which is kind of hilarious, but I I really enjoy it. (laughs) Um, what's the link so that people can... Oh, yeah, it's called The Little Death. Okay. So it's cool. Substack slash The Little Death. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, oh, Lenore. Thank you so much. <laughs> this was amazing. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to that conversation with Lenore. Always a pleasure to speak with her. Always a pleasure to know that you're on the other side of these conversations. Again, if you'd like to leave a comment on this podcast episode, if you would like to read some of my writing, all of this is available to do on Substack, Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot Substack dot com. And while we're at it, subscribe to Lenore's Substack as well. I am losing my voice and still need to save some of it to record tonight. So uh, without further ado, I am going to play you out with Meanwhile Back in the City by the Presidents of the United States of America, which feels feels like a good song to play for this uh, episode. If you don't know it, you will soon find out why. Thanks again, everybody, and talk to you next time. Standing quite alone in a crowded disco When a man I did not know Showed me the door and told me I had to go But that kind of humiliation never happens on a farm That's why city living does the psyche such harm And I said fire escapes no work Until there's a fire you gotta sleep on the floor trucks messed up my dreams i knew my dreams were fake i don't know how people gonna live like this pigeons might enjoy it but i can't live in this mess and i said fire skates don't work until there's a fire you gotta sleep on the floor live in the mud there's no need to go higher and once you taste the break you can't chew and talk saving sanity's a trick when you're living in a room the size of a shoebox got to me 
Ideas and realizations were passing right through me. I did not take a train, a plane or bus with wings. A man wasn't meant to fly. Besides, walking does the same thing. Gets me out of here. Fire escapes don't work until there's a 